So 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22, a reminder here to love Jesus. Last week, we talked about the Apostle Paul finishing well. But this is going to be, for the most of what we're going to zero in on today, this is a testimony of somebody who didn't finish well. And we're going to be looking at Demas. And he ended up loving this present world. And of course, that stands in contrast to what we read in verse 8. That we read uh, that the righteous judge will give to me on that day, that crown of righteousness, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The root word for love there is a Greek word, agape. And when we are going to read about Demas, who loved this present world, it's the same root word, agape. So there seems to be a contrast that Paul is painting between those who love Jesus' appearing and sadly, a well-known and beloved co-laborer in Demas who departs, abandons, deserts, and loves this present world. But we get a lot of details, a lot of just you know, little information bits that are kind of, uh, oh, I'm done writing what I need to say. Now, here's all the administrative stuff, and, and he begins to talk about the details. So we're going to see Paul and a couple of different lights here as we go through this. But let's read verse 9 and on. It says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, Bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me. And that all Gentiles might hear. Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his, for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in my latest sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. So we're not going to be able to cover every line of this. I, I just want to catch kind of the big idea of what's going on at the end of this letter, and a lot of letters. And we see Paul in a couple of different lights. The first way we see him in, in verses 9 through 13 is we see him as as Paul the administrator, and actually you probably could say through this whole section. But he is dealing with the affairs. Uh, when I first went into ministry and was uh, laboring and serving, I said this to myself a lot. I bet the Apostle Paul never did this. I bet he never did that. And I bet he never did this and this and this. And what it was, was I was really surprised as a young man in ministry of the kinds of things that went on behind the scenes. And how much of this type of stuff 
was taking place, the planning and the organizing and sending and, and you know, getting supplies in order and, you know, talking about travel and, and all of that administrative stuff. And that is a real part of ministry. That's why the Lord has given the gift of administrations to the body of Christ because there's so much of that that needs to go on. I, I love those that have the gift of administration. I love how they bring that aspect of their giftedness to the body of Christ. Because there's others that are just like, they're just visionaries or dreamers. And, you know, they don't want to think as for a second about the administration of it. They just want to think about getting out there and doing it. And God brings all kinds of people together with all kinds of different giftedness to get it done. Um. And so he's administrating all of this. And you see a willingness, don't you, of these people to be led by the Apostle Paul. When he begins to talk about, and this person's in this country, and this person's in that country, and I sent him there and there. We're not talking about, oh, I sent somebody up to Charlottesville and somebody over to Roanoke and somebody down to Danville. We're not talking about that. It's like, I sent him to that country, and he went to this country, and they went to that country. I mean, this is a, a, a world missions effort that he is a part of and he's sending people all over the places where the gospel has gone and we see that willingness he asked timothy to bring mark a cloak books and parchment i mean what a variety of things to talk about and you read it and it's like well okay yeah just bring them but he's not going to just throw them in the back of his car is he i mean he's not going to mail them it's no ups no fedex He's not going to fly. He's not going to drive. And, you know, where exactly are these things? Maybe they're all in Ephesus. Um, maybe, um, you know, he's got to go. Um, we know he's got to go to at least uh, bring the cloak, which I left with Carpus at Troas. Okay, I was going to go to Rome. Now I've got to go to Troas too. I mean, there is a lot of work that has to be carried out. And there is a willingness of these brothers and sisters to, uh, to make certain that these things get done. And he wanted to communicate um, the this needs to happen quickly. But I mean, you know, their idea of quick and our idea of quick is very different, isn't it? I need you here quickly. Okay, then, so like, I mean, you want me to like buy a ticket like right now and get on the plane and be there in a couple of days? Yes. They didn't do that kind of quickly thing, did they? You want me to come quickly? Okay, by the time I got the letter, how old was the letter when he got the correspondence? Was it a month old? Was it? I, I don't know. And now he's got to get all of these things together, and he's got to wrap things up, and he's got to he's got to go travel. He's got to do. It. I mean, it could be easily a couple of months before the quickly is fulfilled. <laughs> and so it was a very different type of ministry, and yet it's very much the same. He says in verse ten that Demas forsook him. We'll talk more about him. That's the majority of where we're going to spend our time. But when I look at this and I see all of these people serving and uh, pouring their heart out and we get just a small taste of it, um, I'm, I am so grateful for the heart that you all have to serve Jesus Christ. Um, we're putting together the, uh, the you know, kind of the year-end report of ministry and all that took place in 2021. And um, so we're finalizing and beginning to get to, you know, the, the drafts of it. And so... Like 300 people a week serve in the various ministries every single week at Calvary Chapel Lynchburg. 
And that's, I mean, there's so much that's going on behind the scenes. There's people that are coming in here and cleaning. There's people that are getting the stage ready. There's people that are, you know, putting stuff up on the internet and getting, you know, things printed and food and coffee and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, all the other ministries, the preparing Bible studies and lessons to teach for the children and the worship team. I mean, there's just hundreds of people that serve in different ways to get ready for a week's worth of ministry. And that happens because there's a heart and there's a mind to work. And it doesn't happen. Paul does not reach, um, you know, the world with the missionary effort that he did if it's just himself. And, and that's the same is true for us on staff. We, we don't get to do all the things we get to do and reach out in all the ways we do unless it is the body, unless the body of Christ steps forward and gets involved. And what a joy it is to see all that the Lord is doing. It is a blessing. You know, there's so many things that happen, you know, behind the scenes that you maybe don't even think about. I mean, there's people that are making certain that this is being, the message is being recorded and they're making sure it gets out on live stream and then they're going to edit that and it's going to go up. And, you know, I think I saw like 44,000 visits to the website. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that when you are the one doing it, maybe it doesn't feel like the most significant thing in the world. And yet, mine likes to wonder about 44,000 people, huh? Who, you know, who are these people? What if, a lot of them, it's going to be us. I understand that. Um, but it, the, through the effort of everybody serving, we get to reach out and do so much. And that's what you see here. There's a body of Christ functioning at work. In verses 14 and 15, you see the heart of the pastor, Pastor Paul, Alexander the coppersmith, this guy that did much harm and resisted um, the words that we speak. Watch out for this guy, Timothy. And I don't know where he was going to inter, uh, interact with him. Was it in Ephesus or was it in Troas when he went to get the coat? Or was it maybe Paul's dealing with Alexander the coppersmith right there in Rome and he was a witness against him in, when he you know, the, the, went to trial? Don't know, we really don't know much about him. But one thing we do know for certain, Satan seems to never have a shortage of people that are ready to resist the words of the Lord, and to do much harm to the cause and the preaching of the gospel and even the people that are doing it. He seems like there is an endless supply of individuals that are willing to step up and do that. But can you imagine what it's going to be like for Alexander the coppersmith? Maybe he got saved. That would be great news when we get to heaven. But imagine being Alexander the coppersmith and standing before the creator of the universe and realizing that you had fought against him. I mean, you make some bad decisions in life, but that's like the worst. That is the worst decision you can ever make is to be, is to be found resisting the Lord. Do you remember what, what the Lord said to the Apostle Paul when he was going, from, going up to Damascus and he was going to arrest people? He was going to throw them into jail. He had already overseen and given permission for Stephen to be stoned to death. But do you remember what Jesus said to the Apostle Paul when he apprehended him on the road? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you what? Persecuting me. That's exactly right. He didn't say, why are you persecuting them? He said, why are you persecuting me? Alexander doing harm to Paul was doing harm to Jesus. Alexander resisting the words of the Apostle Paul was resisting the words of Jesus Christ. And we read in 
the book of Philippians, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Alex is going to have his day standing before Lord Jesus Christ and his knee is going to bow, his mouth is going to open, and he's going to say, you are Lord. If he has not repented, that will be his last interaction with the Lord. And then he will be sent off into judgment for eternity. You know, those that resist the Lord and those who do harm, they will be repaid. They're going to be repaid for the evil works that they do. And this is exactly what Paul says. May the Lord repay him. I'm sure Paul would have been thrilled to see the guy get saved. But he's like, this guy is trouble. Timothy, watch out for him. Maybe you have an Alexander in your life. Maybe you have somebody that just resists you at every turn. And, you know, there's that temptation. It's like, ah, just forget it. Don't give in to it. Don't give in to that temptation to forget it. Keep pressing on. This is exactly the way the Lord said it would be. In verses 16 through 18, we see Paul the persecutor. We see Paul the administrator, Paul the pastor. In verses 16 through 18, we see him as Paul the persecuted. He says, nobody stood with me at my defense. Now, I don't think we should read that all these other men were like, no, we're not showing up, Paul. I would imagine it was something more like this. Only a few people could, that, that had an opportunity to speak that could influence his case, none of them decided to show up. That's how I would see that because clearly there's a lot of people that are still standing with him. So it doesn't mean everybody hates Paul now. It's just those that would have had an opportunity to stand with him in the room, they weren't there. So he had to give the defense all by himself. And, and he says, may not be charged against them. You see the grace of Paul. He's not an angry, bitter, old, you know, uh, apostle. You still see the grace flowing out of them. And he says, by the way, the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. He delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. The mouth of the lion, although many Christians were thrown to the wild beasts in the amphitheaters. I mean, it would have been unlikely for the same reasons we talked about this last week with the Apostle Paul and crucifixion. It would be very unlikely that he as a Roman citizen would have ever been thrown to the wild animals. So this is probably more of just a metaphor. You know, well, first, first time around, um, I'm, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> um, it's going to happen. But, um, you know, I, I was able to, to do this. And he says, and here's the reason why. I need to fully preach this message of the gospel. I got I to get the whole message out there to everybody that all Gentiles might hear. But why is Paul in jail for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles? So he, there before, uh, at least a representative of Nero, in there for preaching of Jesus Christ and calling people to worship him and him alone, he finds himself in jail and now he finally has a chance to go and make a defense for himself. And what does he do? He confirms they got the right guy. <laughs> if you're looking for the guy who preaches all the time, that's me. Let me tell you all about it. If you want to get a feel for what maybe it was like there in Rome, read the end chapters of the book of Acts where he gives a defense before Felix and Agrippa. 
And as you read this, you'll see that, man, he just was, he was bold. He preached the gospel. So even in the midst of being persecuted, he's still doing what he's been called to do. He's not giving up. But he was all alone in that. And he says, but don't charge it against them. Don't have ill feelings towards them. I want you to think about this for a moment. Do you think that it's possible that the Lord would ever want you to stand all by yourself and for the church, for individuals to not be present with you and that you would have to trust and rest upon Jesus Christ and him alone? Do you think that's possible? I think it's really possible. Now, we, we know what the Bible says is that we are to bear one another's burdens, right? We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to weep with those who weep. We know we're supposed to be there for each other. Okay, we got that. But here, here's the thing. I do believe there are times when the Lord just wants us to be looking and leaning and resting upon him and him alone. We can become too dependent upon one another. When does that happen? When I stop calling upon Jesus Christ for my comfort and my strength and what I need. Again, as a young pastor, I'd only been here for a little while and something had gone on in the church and it was, it was um, well above my pay grade, as is most things every day. Um, and I thought, what in the world am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I've never been taught what to do with this. So I was like, well, I'm going to call my pastor. So I picked up the phone and started to call Brian. And I got to the last digit and, and the Lord said, why don't you ask me about this first? It was so clear. And I'm like, okay, you know, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. And, and I just called upon him. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to, uh, you know, to handle this situation? So we can get to the place where we are so dependent upon one another that we stop calling upon Jesus. But sometimes I think Jesus orchestrates the circumstances so everybody's busy, everybody's out of town, nobody can come, everybody is sick, and now it's just you. And nobody can be there for you. Nobody can give you that comfort or that aid that you want. If we could, we would. But circumstances are such where it's just you and your hour of need and your trial and nobody is with you. And that's all right. I think we should all learn to be very okay with having just Jesus to see us through. Now, this is in no way to say that we shouldn't be with each other and do everything we can to support one another. But I just want you to be aware of this. Sometimes you need to feel like you're all alone because you will cling to Jesus in ways that you wouldn't normally cling. And so this happened to Paul, and he experienced the strength and the help of the Lord, and he says... I was able to preach. And he says in verse 18, and speaks so confidently that he believes he'll be delivered from every evil work and be preserved for the heavenly kingdom. But as we talked about last week, he's about to die. I mean, he's right, he's right before his, his execution that he's writing this. So did eight, verse 18 not come to pass? No, it came to pass. He is being delivered now, he's delivered through, through death, but nonetheless, he is being delivered into the heavenly kingdom. Better to suffer harm in this temporary life and enjoy the eternal glory of heaven than to know the temporary comfort of this present life and miss out on the eternal glory of heaven. That's where it is. And so for Paul, as he thought about this, and he's already stated, I know I'm going to die, he was like, 
I'm being preserved. I mean, it doesn't matter what they do to me. They can feed me to lions. They can chop my head off. They can crucify. It doesn't matter. I'm being preserved. Who I really am, I am being preserved for the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, this, this body is, certainly is us, but it is, it is simply the vehicle by which we communicate and we serve the Lord and, and our, our soul and our spirit are able to express themselves. And so we, we value that highly. The Lord gave it to us. But the soul and the spirit will be preserved for all of eternity. And you will get a new body. And so if uh, your New Year's resolution doesn't work out too good in 2022, don't worry. You will get a new body. It's coming. All right? Hopefully long ways down the road. But this is Paul. I, he had a complete confidence. And his priorities were focused upon the heavenly kingdom. Real quickly in verses 19 through 22, we see Paul the brother. Um, and he just talks about, you know, these different people and, um, you know, who they are and they're greeting you. And, you know, he tells them to come quickly and he gives them, you know, all these, these names and they say hello. Um, you know, it's like Eubulus greets you. Oh, and me too. Oh, oh and Putin's and, and Linus and Claude. Anybody else? You know, I'm almost out of space here in my letter. They're all wanting to get their hello in. And he, besides being apostle who could also lead... Um, and tell uh, people where to go in, in, in mission and work. He also was just a person that was connected with brothers and sisters. He fellowshiped with them. Such an important part of our life in Christ. Now I want to, as I said, zero back to verse, uh, not zero back, go back to um, verse 10, and we will zero in. That's what I'm trying to zero in on verse 10, where we read that Demas has forsaken me, forsaken me having loved this present world. Demas the deserter. That's who he is. The word forsaken could just as easily be translated deserter. Demas has deserted me. Now, is this full-blown apostasy that we're talking about? Has he given up on Jesus and walked away? We, we don't know the circumstances. And so it could be. It could be full-blown apostasy. I'm going back into the life I had before Jesus. Or it may be something that as he watched the Apostle Paul facing certain death, wanting to distance himself from this guy who had this reputation as a follower of Jesus Christ and was going to be put to death, he didn't want to be caught up in there. And that might be part of what causes him to shrink back and to pull away. That might be why the others were unwilling to go and stand with him before either Nero or his Nero's representatives in the courtroom because they didn't want to be identified. And so he says, sadly, of Demas that he has forsaken me because he loved this present world and he's off to Thessalonica. Demas is one that we have read about two or three times in the different epistles. He was a traveling companion with Paul. He was a faithful servant. He was one that, just like these other guys that he was sending places, at times he sent Demas. But now Demas is at a place where he's like, I'm out of here. Um, I, I can't do this anymore. And what we read for being the motivation was is that he loved this present world. Just like Paul says that we should have a love, an agape for the appearing of Jesus Christ, Demas had an agape for this world. But what do we mean by world? We live in the world. So is, is, it depends on how you're using the term world, whether or not it's a negative or a neutral kind of a thing. God is a creator of this world. That, well, you know, this is a good thing. He made it. 
But if we're talking about the world's philosophy and the way of living, if we're talking about the system of Satan who has the world under his sway, well, then that's clearly something negative, and that is how Paul is using it in a very negative sense. But how do we define the world? And 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 gives us, a, I think, the perfect definition for what the worldly system under the sway of Satan is that we all interact with and we all are confronted with on a regular basis. He says, love not the world. Well, Demas didn't get that message, did he? Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pretty serious mistake here. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the world is made up of these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what are those three things? So first of all, the lust of the flesh is all about living for pleasure. My flesh has its desires. It has the things that it wants, the experiences that it wants to have. And so the lust of the flesh is all about living for pleasure. The lust of the eyes is I want everything I can see. I want to put my hands on it. I want to make it mine. So the lust of the eyes is all about living for possessions. And the pride of life, well, that's all about living for position. And that's everything that's in the world is made up of one of those three things. It's either about pleasure or it's about possessions or it's about position. Do a little test with that. Think of any sin you've ever committed or Think of people in the scriptures that have committed sin and which category. Sometimes it's hard to peel them apart because it's like they're, they're doing all three at the same time. But you can even go back to the garden. You know, the enemy tempted Eve. Hey, if you eat of this fruit, it's going to make you wise. Oh, position. I want to be wise. It's, it's going to be good for food. Um, this, is, this is going to... You know, satisfy your flesh. Or you, it goes on and talks about the lust of the eyes, that she saw this fruit and it was attractive. And so she is falling to all three elements of what the world is there in the garden. And so has every person. Every human being has fallen to one of these. If you will, the enemy only has three lures in his tackle box. Only three. And he throws them over and over and over again with amazing success. And we can see other people that get hooked in their pleasure and the death that it brings or hooked in living for possessions and the harm that it brings or hooked in living for uh, the fear of man and wanting to have a certain reputation and the trouble that it brings. It's always one of those three. The world would say about pleasure, well, if it feels good, do it. I don't want to deny myself. You want me to deny myself? No, Jesus said you should deny yourself. And, but the world lives with this as its, its mantra. If it feels good, if it brings pleasure to me, then who are you to tell me not to do it? And they don't want to have God rule over them, right? We don't want, they don't want to have the Lord saying, this is the way to live and to walk. And so you see people going from one relationship to another relationship. And sex becomes the thing that they live for is that pleasure. 
Or it could be drugs. Or it could be, you know, um, alcohol and drunkenness. And just, I've got, I've got to have this experience. You can think of all the different emotions, um, actually, all the different uh, desires for pleasure that exist in this world. But really what should capture us is living for the joy of pleasing the Lord. We should seek to please him, not my flesh, not my, my corrupt desires. And we know that the, the lust of our flesh, that it wars against our soul. When people begin to live for the lust of their flesh, it begins to just create a, a, a battle scene. You know, we probably all have seen pictures of, you know, World War II or some, you know, other war, modern war, where, um, you know, bombs and bullets and fire have just devastated um, towns and cities and there's holes riddled all through it. That's what lust does. It makes war against your soul. It'll make your soul like Swiss cheese. It'll, it'll just open it up to all kinds of, of harm and trouble. And it's just, it's just ripping your life apart. And so we are warned about this, not to, to live for these things. Possessions, they cannot fulfill you and they will not make you secure. They cannot fulfill you and they will not make you secure. The sad thing is, you can walk down a lot of these paths long enough and delude yourself long enough in them that you end up getting hooked into that. And the worst thing that could happen is that you would find all the pleasure you ever wanted in your corrupt desires that, re, that are in rebellion against God. Or you could find kind of, some kind of satisfaction, some kind of security in your possessions. But listen, these things are fleeting, and they will pass away. We must be sober-minded about our possessions um, because they're not going to enable us to have more fulfillment. But that's the way we often live our lives. It's like, I just got to get this next thing. And it becomes what we, it's the only thing we think about is that next item, that next thing, that next purchase. And we want it, we want it, we want it, we think and we plan and we strategize and it's, it's, we're doing everything we can and then, then we get it. But, you know, it doesn't satisfy. Because there, there, there's always one more thing out there. There's always more stuff. It was the possessions are not meant to fulfill you. They won't fulfill you. The Lord said, with food and clothing, we should be content. That's a pretty small list, isn't it? Food and clothing. And so we all have so much stuff that it ought to tell us that more stuff is not going to make us happy or secure. You know, we're a blessed nation. We have all kinds of opportunities to take care of ourselves. The Bible commends planning for the future and doing those things. So I'm certainly not one against that. I'm planning for the future. I mean, I'm, I'm wanting to, when the, if the Lord tarries and the day comes where I can no longer, you know, be laboring full-time in ministry, well, I, I want to be able to, I want to be able to live. I want to be able to take care of my family. I want to take care of my wife. So, you know, you plan for those future events. And we are, that is a thing that is commended in Scripture. Well, listen, let's be real. And probably a lot of us are, are doing whatever we can to plan for those years when we can't work. And you can plan for it, but the reality is this whole economic system could collapse 
and everything that we have could all just be gone. And, you know, the only kind of weird comfort I find is like, well, if I lose everything, everybody loses everything because I'm not doing something unique and strange, all right? I'm doing what everybody else is doing to get, you know, prepared for the future. So we're all going to be in the same boat. So you can find some comfort in that. We're, the entire world is going to be in trouble, all right? But it can happen so quickly. Things can happen in your life personally that can just wipe out everything you've done for. And if we are living for that, we can be so quickly disappointed. And so watch out for that. Watch out for living for possessions or position. Making compromises in relationships with other people so you can get their respect, so you can get their favor, and you can move into this position or that position that they would... um, you know, think highly of you. But the problem with this is, if you're doing it in a righteous way, nothing. But if you're doing it in this world system, you're making compromises in your walk with God and in your faith. So you will be accepted. I don't know if you've noted the, noticed this, business women and businessmen. Um, they're not following the Bible on how to do business. They've got, the world has their own way of doing things. And when you come in there and you decide you want to follow the, 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 the playbook of the Lord and, and to live righteously and do the right thing and to, you know, to uh, not lie and not cheat and not steal, now all of a sudden you find that you are put in opposition with them. It's like, hey, that's not the way we're going to do it. And there's that place to make a compromise. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. You see, it's like, oh, I want, I want men to like me because then I'm going to be safe. Then I'm going to have a job, and then I'm going to have this, and I'm going to have position, and I'm going to have standing, and I'm going to have respect. And he says, no, that's a snare, actually, is what that is. But trusting in the Lord, that's where real safety is. And so we follow the Lord, and we don't make compromises in who we are or what we believe, to get a certain standing or position or audience with people because that is the pride of life. Living for position. My pride wants me to plan in such a way that I can position myself so that my life will be good. And the Lord's like, no, I don't want you to live like that. And how often that you can see in Scripture where people made Errors and they fell into sin. So that's the world defined. And this was a problem with Demas. He loved the present world. That, he loved the possessions. He loved the, the pleasure. He loved the position. We didn't know exactly what it was for him. But maybe it was like, I got to get out of this position of being associated with Paul. Because this is just dangerous. He's going to get it. He's going to have his head chopped off. I don't want to be listed as one of his associates. I, I'm kind of reading into the text here, of course, because we don't know. But that, that is a plausible thought that was going through. The fear of man. But it was a snare because Paul says he ended up loving this present world. So Paul talks about how he loved the, the appearing of the Lord and that all who love the appearing of the Lord would also receive the crown of righteousness. So let me ask you, how is it that we resist the pull of the world? How is it that we walk out the reminder to love the Lord? And I want to give you four points, and we will conclude 
our study here in 2 Timothy. So point number one is we need to renew our minds. We need to be renewing our mind. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the verb here for renew, they're in the passive sense, meaning there's an outside force that's impacting you. This is something that God does in our life. And we'll talk about the things that we can do where God will act and renew our mind. But there needs to be a continual washing. There needs to be a continual coming back to, you know, ground zero of the Christian faith. What does the Lord have to say? Okay, so the world is saying this and everybody's doing that. Who cares? What does our king have to say? What does our master have to say? Because it's not what they're doing. It's, it's what does he say? And so I'm constantly renewing my mind and his ideas and in his ways. One way in which our mind gets renewed is in our repentance. Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and what? Renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51 is a, a psalm of repentance after murder and lying and adultery. And the Lord steps in in that, and, and David's crying out. He believes that his heart can be renewed, and it is true. The Lord did renew a right spirit. And, and so when we come in repentance, and you'll, I'm sure you'll have a chance to do it this week. You know, you're going to have a chance to something you said, something you thought, something you acted out, something you didn't do that you know you should have. And when you come in that place of repentance, ask the Lord to renew you. Lord, get my mind straight. Get my spirit straight again about living for you. So if we're going to resist the pull of the world, we need to renew our minds. We renew our minds as we repent and the Spirit of God is at work. A renewal also takes place as we meditate upon the person of Jesus Christ, Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. So there's a renewal that takes place in the knowledge of Jesus. We should be continually thinking and meditating upon him. It's like those Greeks that came to the disciples and said, Sirs, we, would, we desire to see Jesus. And that should be the renew of our heart every day. It's, Lord, I want to see you afresh. And when we see Jesus afresh and we experience him afresh, things happen in our heart. Things happen in our life. And we want to walk like him. We want to live like him. Joshua was instructed by the Lord to meditate upon the Lord day and night that he might have good success. Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. See, there, this is what we're to do. It's the word of God should have such an important place in our life that it's a day and night meditation. There's a continual rehearsing of the word of God in my mind, in my life. And what happens in that is there's a renewal. You know, I think sometimes maybe we're like, we're like, I already know this story. I don't need to read it again. We're not trying to renew just our, our memory. We're trying to renew the inner man or woman. 
And the inner man and the inner woman is renewed by the word of God. And he goes on to say there in Joshua 1, 8, you can, you can see this is that um, you should meditate day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. And isn't that what we want? We want to have good success in 2022 following Jesus. We want to have good success. We want to have a prosperous, you know, spiritual life in 2022. And it is going to come as you meditate upon the word of God day and night. There is no substitute. You have not read the Bible enough. You don't memorize, you haven't re- memorized enough. You need to continue as I do going over it again and again and again. So if we're going to resist the pull of the world, we must renew our minds, number one. And there is such a bombardment of information that comes into us. I mean, do you guys agree with that? That There's more information coming into our lives. And I'm not even saying good or bad, but just more information coming in than like any time that you've ever remembered. And it's just like it's all the time, all kinds of information. And a lot of it is bad information. And and if, if more is coming in from the world then I think you can make an easy case to say, day and night. Day and night, I need to be in the Word. I need to start out the day thinking right, and I need to end the day correcting what was wrong (laughs) so that I can be renewed. So it's a renewal. So renew your mind, reserve yourself. No man can serve two masters, it says in Matthew 6, 24. So if you're going to renew your mind and you reserve yourself, no man can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or wealth or money. You can't do it. No, I can't. I figured out how I can do it. You know, I can actually, I can have, I can dabble in the world this much, and I can have my hands upon the kingdom of God this much, and I have, well, have discovered the way to do it. So Jesus was wrong after all. No, this is the Lord himself speaking. You can't go both directions. He understood this principle of loyalty and that you would only be loyal to one. So reserve yourself for Jesus and for him alone. And if you do that, you're not going to fall in love with this world. Paul echoes this idea when he wrote to the church at Colossae. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And I love this. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. You can't do both. Either set them on the things of heaven and the Lord, or you set them on the things of this world. Now, listen. You have a job. You've got to take care of your house. You've got medical issues. You have all kinds of things you have to do. But again, what kind of, what we're talking about is a world that is, that negative side, living for the world, for the possessions, for, for the position, for um, the pleasure. So we have to have a single focus. I pray that is something you see the value in and that each of us will walk in this way. Reserve yourself for active worship of the Lord alone. Don't give yourself to another. We're almost done here. Number three, review the consequences of loving the world. What, what, what happens if you love this world? Well, James 4.4 4 puts it like this, quite bluntly. 
You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So if somewhere in this whole discussion and reading these scriptures, you thought, well, you know, I, I just, I, I think I, I, I can do both. No, you can't. And you need to understand that if you walk it out trying to be friends with the world, there are severe consequences, and those consequences are you're no friend of Jesus. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm reading it right from your Bible. This is what the Spirit of the Lord says. The Lord does not allow for that place of compromise in our life. And he is so good to call us out of it. The patriarch Joseph, he understood this idea of I can't live for my pleasure as he ran from Potiphar's wife. I can't do it. There's no way. And he, he got out of this situation. Lastly, remember the world is passing away. 1 John 2.17. So this is just actually the next verse from where we get the definition of the world. It says, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You know, if we live for the cravings of our flesh, it's all going to pass away. So let's say you got, unlike many people, you got to live the most pleasure-filled life. You lived your whole life full of pleasure that is forbidden by the Lord, and possessions you amassed like nobody else, and they were yours, and the position was amazing. When you die, you leave it all behind. And so you got how many years out of it? And now you have a billion years, which would be like representing the first day of eternity. I mean, you have an eternal life that you're forfeiting for the passing pleasures of this world. As such, I think it's a good thing, it's a kind thing when the Lord allows us to fill, you know, the living for pleasure and how it drops out or living for possessions or position. And we get the reality, it's like, wow, these people really aren't going to help me. And that this stuff doesn't satisfy me and that pleasure has ruined my life. It's a, it's a blessing from God when he reveals that to us. And it just, it all falls out. The worst possible scenario for any person is to live their whole life maximizing that and enjoying it the whole time, not ever realizing this stuff is not going to last. It may last for a while in this lifetime, but it will not move on into the next lifetime. And everything that people are living for right now in that world system, possession, pleasure, right, position, all of it's going to be gone. All of it's going to be gone. And the only thing that's going to last is what we've done for the Lord. So we have such high motivation to live for the Lord and love the Lord. So let's be like Ephesians, I'm sorry, first, second, first, yeah, second Timothy 4, um, where Paul says, Love the Lord's appearing. Don't be like Demas who loved this present world. Now, if you're loving this present world, I'm not going to ask you to stand or raise your hand, but I want you to know something. God already knows that. 
And if you're, if you're just struggling with it and trying to live like you don't, God, you're not fooling anybody. You know it. And the Lord knows it. So why don't you just get real with God? And say, God, I love this stuff. But it scares me to think that I would be your enemy. That bothers me, Lord. Would you give me a right heart and attitude towards these things? Would you give me a love for you? Would you begin to renew my mind? Would you teach me to reserve myself for you? Would you help me to rehearse you know, the consequences of what all this stuff is going to happen to it? Lord, speak to me. And he does because he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we have this, this year in front of us to live for you. Lord, we can, however, and whatever we choose is how close we're going to be. Lord, you're not resistant to us wanting to be closer and closer to you this year. So Lord, we just pray that you would work in our lives, you'd move in our lives in such an amazing and powerful way. If you're here today and you've been living for these things and just your, your sinful lusts, whether it be after a pleasure or whether it be for stuff or whether it be just to make a name for yourself and all of these things are just causing you to live in rebellion to the Lord and you know that you're in rebellion against the Lord and you're, you're done with it. Like, I am done. I, I can totally see how these things are going to all pass away and I am in need of something much greater than anything I can create for myself. And I would encourage you to come to Jesus today. He loves you. He died on the cross to receive you. And he will bring you joy unspeakable. This is what the Bible promises. You'll have the heavenly kingdom reserved for you. You're not going to have want. The Lord is going to take care of you. Maybe you're a believer and, man, you've just gotten off track. And these things have become so dominant in your life. You're living your life in a way you never thought you would live it because of a love for these things. Why don't you let go? Why don't you acknowledge it to the Lord? Let him move in your life. Oh Lord, we love how you're so patient with us. But Lord, may we not misunderstand your patience for approval. May we hear the clear voice of, of the word in your spirit calling us to live for you, to love you. And Lord, if we are loving other things, then I pray you would, you would reveal that to us. And thank you that you receive us. Thank you that you receive us. I just encourage you to, to let it go. Acknowledge it, call it what it is, call it sin. Call it an evil thing, a great wickedness. And let the Lord begin to renew your spirit within you as you repent. You're here, you've heard the word, your mind is being renewed. Repent, allow your spirit to be renewed.